you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky here. And uh, Buck, we have, uh, we've made it to the end of the week. But man, fun week. We got the, the second TV show uh, out to the public, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. Um, like, the show is really coming together nicely. Uh, we've had some great conversations with some great people. Uh, some of those we're going to share today, obviously, with Hall of Fame, MLB pitcher John Smoltz. Like, that conversation was fascinating, and I think we were able to snare just a snippet on TV. Today, we get a chance to really put it out there for public consumption on the audio podcast. Yeah, and if you missed the TV show, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, Friday, we've got it uh, 12 a.m. Saturday, and uh, 4 a.m. and 8 a.m. So if just do me a favor. If you watch the 4 a.m. version of the show, uh, please send us a tweet and, uh, and, and send us a picture of you <laughs> with, your, uh, with your breakfast yeah. uh, while, you, while you consume that content, huh, Buck? Yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of funny. It's for the late night crowd. The late night crowd is yeah. Memorial Day weekend. Maybe some people have ventured out. You know, maybe they're just settling back into the house and they just want, want to click on a little move the sticks, see what's going on. Yeah, speaking of Memorial Day, doesn't it doesn't it kind of 
it felt always to me like Memorial Day was the beginning of a little bit of a, the last bit of rest before everything cranks up. Then once we get to July 4th, there's like that time between Memorial Day and July 4th is really kind of the sweet spot if you're a scout because it's kind of like your rest period. And that to me was like the official kickoff of, okay, we can take a little bit of a break here. And then as soon as July 4th came around, it was like, uh-oh, here we go. Yeah, because DJ, you know, this would coincide with um, the grades being released, like National and Blesto around this time each year. That's when the grades would be released. And so you would get the email with all the, the players in your area. But you probably don't start digging into those guys until June. So... We're kind of right at that point, but my body clock is saying, like, hey, it's about time to kind of get ready, start gearing up, start looking at uh, the next class of prospects that are coming down the pipe. Yeah, no, it's 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 always fun when you get a chance to look at a bunch of new players. So uh, we'll be talking about those guys as we go through the process. If you saw a little bit of the TV show or if you listened to the last podcast, we played snippets of our conversation with uh, Baseball Hall of Famer John Smolton. And, Buck, I think some people might say, you guys are a football podcast. What are you doing talking to a baseball guy? But John Smoltz was a great athlete growing up, played football, played basketball, played baseball. So we get a chance to visit with him on the importance of multi-sport athletes. But more than that, in this conversation, we get a chance to talk to him about the mindset of a champion, uh, the comparisons between a pitcher and a quarterback, um, his interactions with some of the greatest competitors of all time. So uh, there's a lot to learn from this. If you're like Bucky and myself, you'll have your you have your pen and pencil or your pencil and paper out right now. So you can take some notes because I think you'll get a lot out of this interview. Uh, we're going to roll it in its entirety right now, and uh, we'll recap it here at the end. So enjoy this one. Well, could not be more excited to have our, our next guest with us here. It's Hall of Famer John Smoltz joining the show. John, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time for us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, we, we, uh, we obviously followed your career, even as football guys, we follow your career all the way through. But it was, it was something that you said at your Hall of Fame induction uh, that really stood out to us because you, you preached a message we've been preaching for a long time and evaluating these players as they come through our process. And that is get away from some of the specialization that's out there. Let these kids play multiple sports and develop as athletes. And you told the story about how that was a uh, very key in your overall development. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I grew up in a great place uh, that seasons determine sports. Michigan didn't have the luxury of playing year round sports. So some kids had the burdens of where they lived that you could play their sport all year round. And we've gotten into a specialization that I just don't understand. From an athlete standpoint, the well-roundedness, the balance. Uh, you know, I played football, I played basketball. Basketball was actually my first love. Baseball hap happened to be something that I would end up playing a lot longer and uh, professional career out of. But I, I consider all those sports a uh, contributing factor to my my balance and what I was able to do in, in sports. I, I really believe genetics and athleticism is something parents don't understand. I think it's something that people think you can create and not necessarily uh, enhance the athlete by allowing him to specialize in one sport. And for me, my gosh, this was, uh, this was the, the essence of who I was growing up. I got a chance to play all those sports. When the season changed in Michigan, that meant sports changed. You know, in, in continuing that conversation, um, so much of playing multiple sports enhances the athlete, not only from a physical standpoint, but learning from different coaches and playing different games and strategies. What did you learn from those other sports that ultimately helped you become a Hall of Famer when it came to the baseball diamond? Yeah, for me, it was figuring a way, you know, whether it, I was limited a little bit in basketball or limited a little bit in, in, in baseball, it's figuring out a way of how to 
how to challenge myself to become better. Uh, basketball, to me, had the uniqueness of I, I loved playing a point guard. I grew up watching Magic Johnson and, and my city in Lansing, and I loved facilitating and making others around me better. Um, but it was a sport I could work on, you know, by myself, um, necessarily, you know, shooting in the backyard. When it came to playing football, although back then, you know, flag football was all we could play up until the age of maybe seventh grade. It was crazy how it's changed. But being a quarterback and, and, and surveying the field and, and running the offense and all the different things, even at that level, was intriguing to me. And then when I got to being on the mound, it was basically me and the hitter and the catcher. You know, I determined a lot of what would go on after I released the ball and trying to figure out ways to become a better pitcher. All with the other sports allowed me to think mentally along with the game and physically adapt to the game. And, you know, my body as a young player um, was a benefactor from all of those things because I didn't consume a one-sided sport. If I had pitched and played baseball year-round, there's no doubt I would not have had the career I had. There's no chance I make it to the Hall of Fame because I would have been that kind of player in a state like Florida where if the circumstances were today, would have been forced to play one sport at an early age, and I don't know that that would have benefited me at all. Yeah, you're going to log some serious innings. I can promise you that uh, playing year-round, a lot of people do in California and Florida, and I'm with you, John. I think it just makes so much more sense to be a more well-rounded athlete. Uh, as we look at these guys coming up through the college ranks as they come into the NFL, obviously it's an immediate transition from the college field to an NFL field. But in baseball, you got to go through the minor league process. Um, what was that grind like for you, and how do you keep uh, focused on the day-to-day -day without getting too far ahead of yourself and looking to, at the big leagues? Yeah, so back then, which seemed like 100 years ago, you know, the, the, the systems weren't quite the way they are now with all the equipment and technology and all the things that you're at your fingertips. You basically had to learn yourself. We had one, uh, one coach. Uh, we didn't have more than the uh, information that you were able to gather from the previous game. So my thing about uh, my quest and my desire was I'm going to figure out a way. I'm going to take notes. I'm going to learn from my failures. I'm going to become better. I'm going to motivate myself in areas that maybe think um, you're lagging. And then once the intel came along, once you climbed the ranks of the AA, AAA, and you started getting more coaching, uh, that helped as well. So picking the brains of other people, asking questions, and, and to me, the biggest contributing factor for me being the player I was, I wasn't afraid to fail. I wasn't afraid to go in, try a pitch on the fly. There's no way to know anything until you actually put it into play in a game. I consider, you know, practice important and bullpens were super important. But you know how many no-hitters guys throw in the bullpen, but they're afraid to go out in the, across the line and try that curveball or try certain things that the only way you're going to find out is under the gun. And then the mental capacity of which we, we're not even as – we have so much information analytically that I still don't think we have allowed our, to know our athletes mentally what they're capable of doing. And that transition will tell you a lot when you have to play against much better competition. And it's a team game, but you're trying to individually move up into the big leagues, which is a, it's kind of, a, it's kind of an interesting twist in, in the minor leagues. You know, John, listening to you talk about pitching and you really go in depth about the mental part of it. And a lot of it sounds like the approach that quarterbacks take. So uh, DJ was going to ask you this, but I'm, I'm going to ask you. Um, when you're preparing to get ready to start, what is your mentality like gearing up for a start? Because it sounds like 
the same mentality and approach that a quarterback would take to get ready to play a game on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of similarities in, in the sense of information um, and understanding what you're trying to do and, and formulating a game plan, right? So uh, game plans have to change if the opponents make you change them. I don't think you have to change too much until you're reacting to what they're doing to you. And I think personality has a lot to do with how people process the information. For me personally, when I was preparing for a game, especially a huge game, a postseason game, a game seven, I was relaxed. I slept the night before. I didn't overthink the game. I didn't think the game through before I actually did it. I was prepared in my information intel up until that point. I didn't go overkill with anything. And then when the game was actually day, the day of the game, I was at my best place with energy and reserve to make the best decisions I had to make. I consider, as a quarterback, much like a pitcher, back in our day, we had to make 130 good decisions. That was 130 pitches if you're going to have a good game. And to make those decisions come along with commitment. And you got to be committed. Making decisions is one thing, but being committed is, is crucial. And then learning how to adjust and not let one decision affect another. That was not something early on I was good at. I let too many pitches carry over into my next at bat or the next inning, and that wasn't a good formula for success. So I had to learn how to have that memory loss, but at the same time have a commitment to know that I'm good enough and better than the guy that's standing at the plate. Because when you stand on the mound in baseball, one of you has the edge, and they know it. The hitter knows it or the pitcher knows it. The, the, the key is not to convey it, right? I mean, let the execution play out, but don't let that hitter know <clears throat> that he's better than you when you're standing on the mound with your mannerisms or anything like that. So it's, it really is a chess game, and I'm sure a lot of that com, you know, compares to a, a quarterback when he has very little time to make important decisions and react on the fly and then get right back in that situation again, even if it didn't go well. It's fascinating listening to you talk about this, John, because we talk about quarterbacks and the scouting process. The three big things we've always focused on were, were accuracy, decision-making, and poise. And listening to you talk about pitching – you see the carryover there between those three areas. And I think about the sustained success you guys had with your pitching staff, uh, with you and Glavin, and then Maddox came over to have what, 14 consecutive division titles. And then I look at the Patriots and Tom Brady, who was off the charts in those three areas, and you have that continuity there in New England, and they win 11 consecutive division titles. What is it about that, that mindset at those important positions that can help kind of lead a team through that sustained success? Yeah, I mean, we came off of a not-so-good team, and then when we started developing pitching, and then the big three came along, myself and, and Gavin and Maddox, you know, that was the anchor for our team to build around. And we sustained that kind of consistency when a lot of people thought over time there's no way you can live up to the previous years of, of success. And we took it upon ourselves each and every year to become a better version and to continue this run as long as possible. And I think everybody uh, to a man would, would know that that even though we changed a lot of pieces around us, we kept our pitching intact from the starting staff when back then the priority was to pitch as many innings as you can. Uh, I don't know if today we would have been thought of as successful because we weren't asked to do as much today, but what, what a run we were on. and what It was almost like a, a challenge that each one of us took individually that we were going to not disappoint our teammate. Like, I wasn't going to let down Glavin. Glavin wasn't going to let down Maddox. We were all going to be at our best. But at the same time, check your ego because one of those guys was, has a chance to humiliate you if you're, if you're caught up and wanting to be the guy. So we, we put our egos aside, and we allowed every day to be something special that we could possibly watch or be part of. And it just ran for 10 years. For Glavin and I, it went 15 years. 
And you know what? Winning never gets old. Uh, to win 14 straight divisions, I maintain, will never happen again in any any era. But we were able to be part of it. We would have loved to have won more championships, no doubt. Uh, our sport, much like football and the, and the rigors of postseason, you know, a twist here or there can change the course of a really good team. But we, we were given a lot of opportunities, and, and, and we, we were uh, better for it. You know, John, in listening to you, it, it, it really sounds like, from a team-building standpoint, like a team that builds around the quarterback. You can put different pieces around them, but if the quarterback is good enough and adaptable and flexible, he can win. You talked about your Braves teams. You guys had different pieces. How does it affect you when you're bringing new guys in? Even though the big three was able to kind of roll and you guys are kind of isolated as starting pitchers, how does it affect you when the team brings other guys in? Does it change your mindset at all? Well, fortunately, we have the same manager. And if a team doesn't change a lot of coaches, you can create a culture that everybody that comes in will be in time lockstep with it. You know, we, we brought guys over for other organizations. Just to give you an example, when spring training would come around, we would go up to them. I'd go up to them and say, it's going to take you two weeks to get over the guilt. And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, we don't mess around here. We don't do much. We get in, we get out, we get our work done. You're not used to that from other organizations. And then once they saw what our manager was trying to do and the culture he was creating, he had three simple rules, three rules that nobody else had in, in, in time. is no music in the clubhouse, wear your headphones. You don't want to make anybody uh, upset by the music you're listening. Show up on time and wear your hat right. Think about those three rules. So when you're bringing in new guys and they can understand that those are the three simple rules, he'll treat you like a man. All you got to do is do your job. You're more relaxed and you want to run through a wall for your manager because he understands how hard that game is. And he's not going to get caught up in the ebbs and flows and the slumps of what you're currently doing. He's not going to view you based on the success or failure of that given week. He's going to see the long value of being available and have your confidence restored and to play your butt off, show up on time, be the best teammate you can be. And that's why our culture was so good because the three of us made sure everybody else stayed in line with those three simple rules. Sometimes when you have three simple rules, people think, oh, this is an opportunity to take advantage of it. We never let that. And the guys who couldn't take care of those three simple rules didn't last very long. Have you got a chance to, to watch the documentary uh, on the Bulls? John, I'd love to know just your takeaway after watching that dynasty on television after having uh, been a part of a dynasty in baseball. I have. I watched it. Uh, it was outstanding. Uh, I've got a chance to play with Michael Jordan in golf quite a bit, along with Tiger Woods, two of the most competitive, most fierce athletes in the, in the history of, of sports. And I understood real quickly what makes them tick. It's an inner desire to be the best and know they're going to make the shot or hit the shot. And if they don't, they're going to get right back on the saddle again and go do it again. I think that dominance shows of what, what Michael went through when you're trying to become a champion. You know, similar to what we went through, um, we were terrible. Then we had to learn how to win. Then we had to bring guys in that taught us how to win. Then we had to finally clint, you know, clinch something, win something. And, you know, we thought we were going to run off four or five ourselves. But what Michael and the Bulls were able to do, it just transforms uh, sports in a way where I don't know that we'll ever see another guy like him. Um, sometimes, you know, as a leader, you're going to uh, bear a lot of uh, opinions about yourself, even though they may not be flattering. But if you've got a chance to lead your team and make everybody around you better, that is ultimately the goal of a, of a true competitor that wants to win championships. 
You know, John, uh, there are a couple of quarterbacks that have ba extensive baseball backgrounds that are on the verge of winning championships or they've won championships, meaning Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray. All of these guys have enjoyed a level of success in baseball, but they've been dominant football players. What do you think um, they've been able to glean from baseball that's helped them be successful as quarterbacks in the National Football League? Well, besides all three being obviously great athletes, their ability to uh, adapt with hand-eye coordination and fit footwork. I mean, there, there's a lot of similarities. I know Russell Wilson played the infield, so you can see why his feet work are so incredible and why he can move around in the pocket and do what he does. His arm, obviously throwing a baseball. The other guys you mentioned could throw a baseball as well. And the hand-eye coordination, I think, goes hand-in-hand. Hand. You'd be surprised how many pitchers or how many baseball players can't throw a football. So it doesn't just necessarily mean playing baseball is going to allow you. I've thrown a football my whole career in the offseason, in between. That's how I kept my shoulder loose. I love throwing a football. Uh, I, I wish I could have been a quarterback in the NFL. It would have went kind of like this. I'd have led the league in touchdowns and interceptions and sacks because I just don't throw. I would never have thrown the ball away. Uh, but I was nowhere near nowhere near the giftedness that these guys have to move in the pocket and do things on the fly. And I think that's where the baseball uh, kind of uh, athleticism comes in because those are some of the same movements you're trying to make, although be it with a smaller ball in your hand. And I'm in awe of watching these guys. Uh, I, I love watching quarterbacks do their thing. Um, you know, John Elway was a baseball player. I even think Dan Marino was a pretty good baseball player. So the combination of those two makes sense when you think about certain skilled positions. And I say this all the time to parents. I think they all have a, a vision of what they want their child to become. But I think the sport chooses the child. I don't think we ultimately get a choice sometimes because you never know what your body's going to grow into. You may decide to be a hockey player and turn out to be six foot eight. You're limited in, <laughs> in the opportunities as a hockey player. So same thing in football and baseball. I love watching these cross uh, talents come to play and, and, and see the greatness that th those guys you mentioned have become. We talk about cross sports. You had a chance to play with our teammate here at NFL Network and Deion Sanders. Do you have a, uh, a good primetime story for us, John? I have so many. It was one of the greatest times <laughs> of my life to play with Dion. Uh, he and I went at it in every aspect of competition. Uh, between Game Boy and basketball and shagging flies. And the one thing that's so humiliating to talk how great of an athlete he was, he gave us a 20. I could, I was the, believe it or not, it doesn't look like it now, but I was the official pinch runner early in my career as a pitcher who played once every five days. If I, I would pinch run because I became an extra player, so I could run a little bit. So when Dion said, I'm going to give you guys, Steve Avery, myself, and one other, a 20-yard head start and a 60-yard dash and guarantee you I'm going to beat you, I'm like, yeah, bring it. There's no chance that's going to happen. And he did. I mean, this guy was so gifted. And we would shag fly balls. The one thing I could tell you about Dion is if there was water, it didn't matter if it was a bathtub and there was a fish in it, he was going to fish it, right? He loved fishing. And so spring training became, after every time we were done, we would go – to where we were at, PGA Boulevard, PGA Lakes, and, and we would fish. And the trash talking and fishing is unlike anything you've ever seen. And and Dion just loved competing. Uh, I loved competing. I wish our time together could have been longer. But I say this about Dion in all sincerity. If he put away football because he mastered it from a defensive end, a defensive back standpoint, he would have mastered leadoff hitter. He would have been what Ricky Henderson was in our sport today, the greatest leadoff hitter. I'm convinced of it. If that's all he decided to do, he could have did it. And uh, it, it was a blast playing with Dion for those short times there in Atlanta. 
Oh, uh, man, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, quickly, because you played with another football player, Brian Jordan, who also played with Atlanta Falcons. What was Brian Jordan like as a baseball player? How, how much fun did you have playing with him? Brian was another great guy. I mean, this guy was a beast, right? He was built like a brick house. I can only imagine hitting, hitting somebody in the, in the defensive backfield. Uh, and, and, and he was the same kind of athlete in, in baseball. Unfortunately, baseball gave him more nicks and bruises and little injuries that you wouldn't think baseball would have because he played it so hard. He'd run into the wall. He was diving in the outfield. Brian Jordan had a knack. And, and, and I'm telling you, I played uh, a ton of basketball with Brian Jordan, a great basketball player. He had a full-court gym in his back basement here in Atlanta. And so we would go and have these epic games uh, in his basement, and and just seeing his athleticism, athleticism screamed not only baseball, basketball, football. He's the prototype athlete that you think would exist more today that has been eliminated because of specialized sports. And and uh, Brian and, and I go go way back in all our our battles of of renting a gym. We 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 played so much basketball that we had to get referees because it was starting to get out of hand in the calls that were being made. So we got referees to referee our games uh, just to, to keep it on the level. Oh, that is fantastic. All right, last question for me, John. Well, you've been so generous with your time today. We do appreciate it. This is purely selfish. As a kid who grew up in San Diego, uh, and Tony Gwynn was kind of all of our hero growing up, I would love to know just a behind the scenes on the other side of it. As somebody that, that faced Tony Gwynn and with the three of you guys uh, preparing to go up against him, I'd love to know what that process was like. Well, first and foremost, the number one question I get is, who is the, the nemesis that I had in my career as Tony Gwynn? I have nothing but respect. He was the, most inc- he's the greatest hitter of our generation. Uh, I believe we're missing out on that today in the athleticism that he had. Nobody understood how athletic he was. He played basketball. Uh, and he was able to do things on the field that not a lot of people could. Let me give you a stat that will blow your mind that I still to this day am trying to figure out how that happened. Maddox, Glavin, and myself, we all struck out close to 9,000 batters. We faced Tony Gwynn basically our whole career because we were in the same division for the longest time. I believe we only struck him out three times total between the three of us, and Maddox didn't get him at all. Glavin got him twice. I got him once. And the ultimate battle and respect that I had for Tony Gwynn I had two memories, and I used to talk to him about it every chance I could when I'd see him at a card show or not. Uh, but, you know, I had a hard time getting him out. He hit 444 off of me, which is not a small sample size. We're talking 38 hits. I mean, this is something I just couldn't do. So I had of the ultimate respect. I threw him a knuckleball one day, and he just sat there and t- looked at me and laughed. It was as if that's the ultimate respect I could give him. Like, I can't get you out. Here's a knuckleball. And then the only other, the other story I had with Tony Quinn is that I never threw a no-hitter. But when people ask me if I threw a no-hitter, I say, yes, but I got robbed. It doesn't show up in the scorebook. It was in the eighth inning, two outs in San Diego. I had given up no hits. I think I had struck out 12. I was in a zone. And Tony Quinn was up. I knew if I get him out that it's over, I'm going to have the no-hitter, I feel that good. He hits a fly ball to left field, and Ryan Klesko was learning to play left field. He's a fir- former first baseman, and it was he had to run about 20, 30 feet, and he got to the track, and it hit his glove, you know, probably should have caught it, and he dropped it. Well, I knew that that would be an error, but we're in San Diego. So what do you think happened? <laughs> it was the and I, I couldn't convince my manager 
to, to let me pitch the ninth because they will absolutely change the call. The official score has to change the call if it's the only hit. He said, my manager said, I've been in this league too long. It's not going to happen. That's Tony Gwynn. I'm taking you out of the game. Well, to finish the story, I wasn't a violent person per se, but I went in the clubhouse and happened to break a few <laughs> stools that were looking at me. And uh, so when people say, you know, have, you never threw a no-hitter, I kind of say I did, but out of respect for Tony Gwynn, you know, I, t- I would see him, you know, at the Hall of Fame or at a card show and say 3,000 whatever and what hits, less one, just less one. <laughs> you could have given up one extra hit, he'd laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. And this has been so much fun for us, John. I, mean, I, I can't thank you enough. Uh, it's just what great insight. And hopefully we get back to, to seeing baseball on TV and get to get your great insight once again, man. I appreciate your time. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, Buck, I think whatever our expectations were going into that interview, they were exceeded uh, by John Smoltz. Yeah, he was terrific, man. It was terrific to kind of dig in, get inside the mindset of an ultimate competitor, a guy who has won at the highest level, and a guy who was a part of one of the, I guess, the longest standing dynasties in baseball with the Atlanta Braves winning 14 straight division titles. And so being able to kind of uh, listen to how they were able to put it together, how they built their team around the pitching staff, which is the equivalent of building uh, a team around the quarterback, and then just some of the great players and some of the great stories. Um, it's just fantastic to bring guys on like that because you and I are both uh, big multi-sport athletes, and we also <laughs> love the crossover in terms of being fans of other sports. So I felt like it was a terrific blend to have John Smoltz come on and share. Yeah, my favorite uh, part of the conversation was the line that he used, which was um, being able to make 130 good decisions. Yes. Talking about being a pitcher and uh, coming into a game at that when his era, you know, you could go a little bit deeper in the game. So knowing that you could throw up to 130 pitches and each it wasn't a pitch, though, it was viewed as a decision. What are you going to throw? Um, how are you going to throw it? How are you going to set a guy up? How are you going to attack him? And I thought, man, that is the great correlation between pitcher and quarterback in that you can you can make, you know, if you're a quarterback and you throw the ball 45 times, you can make 42 great decisions mm-hmm. those three bad decisions you're a bum i mean the, you'll get crucified you'll cost your team the game and you'll get you'll get lampooned by everybody in the media say oh those three throws those three interceptions cost you the game we well, made 42 good decisions it was the three poor decisions so it's that it's that laser like focus down in and down out and I, I go back to what michael jordan said in the documentary the last dance buck somebody said about him right it was his ability to stay in the moment yeah, you know, being able to stay in the moment, and I felt like his um, analogy or the way that he kind of broke down pitching definitely related to quarterbacks. And when he talked about the decision-making, you and I have talked about the most important part of playing quarterback is not necessarily the arm talent, but it's the judgment. What kind of decisions do they make? Because the fortunes of the team rest on the decisions that they make. And so when Smoltz talks about I had to make 130 good decisions, it is very, very similar to the quarterback because each and every play, he has the ball in his hands and how he takes care of the ball ultimately determines whether our team wins or loses. Yeah, I also uh, love the the other aspect of it when you talk about John Smoltz and, and being competitive and playing that position, Buck, um, was the fact that every time a pitcher gets on the mound and a batter gets in the box, we both know who the better guy is. So how are you going to go about that? And I thought, man, what a mindset, though. Like, right, talk about kind of that mental dominance. 
And again, I, I keep this this uh, this Jordan documentary so fresh in our minds. But there's that psychological warfare that you have, and I, I can give you one example. And I, I think I've told the story before, um, but having worked with the Ravens, Ray Lewis was so in the head of so many quarterbacks and teams that we played against. They were just intimidated by him, and he had him. He had him before the game even started. And if you ever watched the Ravens during those years at home. You know, you saw Ray was the last one to be introduced. They had the fire. They, he did the full dance. And this was, I don't think people realize, not many people were doing this with the introductions. They would just announce the guys. they just run out, right. high-five your yeah. teammates. It was no big deal. His thing, he had his own song, uh, you know, hot in here, the whole deal. It was a big production. And we're playing the Tennessee Titans, who uh, a couple years previously the Ravens had beat on the way to, to win the Super Bowl. And, uh, and Ray had played unbelievable against them in all those games. But while we were doing introductions, the Tennessee Titans, they, Jeff Fisher had their offense go on the field, opposite side of the field, facing away from what was going on, and had them just run plays. Like, we're not going to sit here and watch this and allow <laughs> this to get inside our head. But I thought, man, this is, this is true in every sport, right? There's a, there's a psychological warfare that's going on. Yeah, it's funny. So, DJ, you and I are both really, really close to Dennis Thurman. And so Dennis Thurman was the defensive coordinator um, or defensive back coach for the New York Jets when Rex Ryan was there. And so he had Darrell Revis. And what he taught Darrell Revis was what they call hang around the football because Darrell Revis would match up with the wide receiver. And so Darrell Revis would stand in front of the defensive huddle with his eyeballs on the number one receiver. And he would follow him everywhere that he went and part of that was hey i want you to know where your guy is but the other part is i want him to know that he has to face you on each and every down and does he have the mental stamina and endurance to be able to deal with knowing that i got to go against Darrell revis for 75 snaps and he is going to be in my face for each and every one of those snaps yeah that's great i love that story and to me again it's just you kind of assert your dominance. It's what Darrell Rivas was doing. It's what Michael Jordan was talking about. It's what John Smoltz was talking about. And that's why, to me, as, as, uh, as we live in the football world, I think you'd be naive to stay in that football world and not try and broaden your horizon a little bit and, and take things from other sports. I mean, look at the Philadelphia Eagles, Buck. During this time, they've had Steve Kerr come on and speak to the team. They just had Phil Jackson come on and speak to the team the other day. Uh, so they're they're trying to learn just like we're doing. That's why you know I hope people can uh, understand why we're trying to reach out to these people from different sports because we're learning. No, we, we are learning. I think it's interesting that you talk about the Philadelphia Eagles bringing in Steve Kerr and then Phil Jackson right after that because I would like to think that both of those guys kind of have similar philosophies when it comes to the team and the connectivity and the way that they play with mindfulness and the like. But this is a great opportunity. And we've seen it because this has gone on forever and ever. Uh, basketball coaches will go visit football teams while they're in training camp. Football coaches, like I remember Jason Garrett going to visit Coach Krzyzewski at Duke because he wanted to understand the culture of winning uh, or building a championship program. We've seen other coaches get with Nick Saban. Um, and so I think when you're dealing with like high-performance sports, you just kind of want to know how can I help my team get just a little bit better or how can I build a culture that's going to be sustainable? That's why we read books. That's why we look at documentaries like The Last Dance. That's why we're so fascinated when we have an opportunity to talk to people outside of the sports. We may participate in other sports, but at the end of the day, it is all about building a team, which is in business, um, 
athletics or whatever, you're still trying to find little nuggets that can help you be a better leader. You know, the other thing I was thinking of uh, just about that discussion, I've talked to my buddies with the Eagles and, you know, give me the notes here. What did what did Phil Jackson say? And there's a long list of things, and I, I won't go into all that because I, I think that was probably just meant for their team. But there was one word that came up a bunch when I was kind of looking through some of these notes, and it was the word bold. Uh, you have to be bold. And you can look at that in a lot of different contexts. If you're going to win a game on the road, right, it, it favors the bold. You've got to be aggressive. If you're in big moments, and I started thinking about this, like if you start just kind of kind of going through some of the Super Bowls in your head, think about recently, obviously Pat Mahomes taking that shot down the field, right? He's a bold, a bold move on a big stage. No fear, attack mentality. That, that ends up basically winning them the Super Bowl. Look at Philly special. Uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles uh, going with a trick play on fourth down, and that'll be a play we remember forever. Think about Sean Payton, you know, coming out of the locker room and calling an onside kick um, when they when they won their Super Bowl against the Colts. Like there is, it is tough. It is tough to win at the ultimate level, and I think it's tough to be successful. You can say it in business and life, however you want to put it, but it, it favors the bold man. You cannot be afraid. You've got to be bold, and I thought that was. What a great word, right? I mean, that's a word we don't necessarily use all that much. But, man, I want guys that are bold. I want guys that want the ball in their hands when the game's on the line. I want guys that want that pressure. Um, that's a, To me, I just thought, man, what a great scouting word we need to use more. Yeah, no, I, I think being bold is, is something that we should embrace. And I think it also should happen in the personnel standpoint. Uh, DJ, when – it's draft day, and if you feel – we always talk about – we were taught that you have to have conviction. If you feel conviction about a player, you got to be willing to stand up on the table, and you got to be able to deal with all the criticism or whatever that, that may come. But you have to be bold when you have those opportunities. And so I think about the guys that have made – like the, the, these great moves. Like think about Thomas Dimitrov trading up to get Julio Jones because he felt like that was a missing piece to their championship puzzle. The other moves that we've seen teams make, I mean, even Kansas City Chiefs. Pat Mahomes, yeah, Carson Wentz. Mo mo moving up to get Pat Mahomes and the Eagles with Carson Wentz. And I know it is probably this time more than any, like the critics are readily available because of Twitter and the like. And so you have to be strong. You have to be able to kind of weather the storm when you make those moves. But you're right. I mean, the ones who make those moves are the ones who ultimately rewarded for it. And they're the ones that win championships. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to live life with the bumpers on the lanes, you know, yeah, you're not going to have, you're not going to have any gutter balls, but you're not going to win anything either. Like you, you've got to be aggressive, and you've got to take some risks, you've got to take some chances, and uh, that to me was one of the reasons why, I don't know why I've been thinking about this team, but I saw, I think ESPN.com did a thing the other day about the the they ranked the off seasons of every team one through thirty two, and the Houston Texans were ranked thirty second. And everybody, ourselves included, have, have taken our shots at Bill O'Brien and, you know, what's he doing? He trades Nuke Hopkins and, um, you know, obviously they, they trade for Laramie Tunsil. They give him this huge deal. Um, it, it just seems like they've been getting beat up a lot. Mm -hmm. And then I just had this thought. I mean, what can you imagine if the Houston Texans, you know, win their division and make a deep run into the postseason next year? Um, <laughs> we're all going to have to apologize to Bill O'Brien and say, okay, maybe you knew your team better than all of us did on the outside. I, I just, I came away from that with thinking about that word bold. And I thought, well, maybe he, maybe he is, is, is made some of the worst decisions of all time, or maybe just maybe there's some, some, some boldness there that he knows something that we don't know. Yeah. And, and DJ, I think there, there is something to that, right? Obviously Bill O'Brien is around the team 
more than anybody else. And he got beat up for the Jadavian Clowney trade. Well, let's just look at what Jadavian Clowney has done. Like Jadavian Clowney flashed at Seattle, but he didn't do anything of significance during his time there. Um, they beat him up for securing Laramie Tunsil, but you and I both know if you have a franchise quarterback, you have to protect him. Laramie Tunsil provided better protection, gave them an opportunity to allow uh, Deshaun Watson to play at a high level. Now with DeAndre Hopkins, here's the thing. DeAndre Hopkins has been terrific. Look, he's a three-time All-Pro player. He is a guy that, look, in, in three, the last three seasons, he's been over 1,000 yards. But last year, he only had 1,100 yards. And as you begin to think about the amount of money that you're going to have to pay him, I can't understand why D, why Bill O'Brien is like, you know, what am I getting? I'm getting an outstanding playmaker, but I'm not getting necessarily a run-after-catch guy. I'm having a problem with him in terms of he is a strong personality in the locker room. And so as long as he is present, my leader, Deshaun Watson, can never fully gain control of the locker room. It is very, very similar to what Seattle did when they let all of those guys go on defense so they could empower Russell Wilson. And so, it, it look, it's uncomfortable. It doesn't look great on the surface. Uh, from a fantasy football perspective, it may not make sense. But from a team-building standpoint, it may be Bill O'Brien saying, I'm going to hand the team to Deshaun Watson, and I can't fully give him the team until I get – DeAndre Hopkins out of the way. Very similar to Carolina when they had to remove Steve Smith so Cam Newton could take over that team. Yeah, I just think it's it's sometimes everybody, you know, can jump jump on something and we all have because on the surface it didn't it doesn't make a lot of sense, but unless you're inside the building you don't know. Um, so we'll see how that all plays out, but I just in some in some part of me I give him credit for saying, "Hey, I know there's going to be blowback on this, but this is what I believe is the right thing to do. I'm going to do it." Um, and I don't think anybody's really said that about about him. And, and I just heard that word bold. And for some reason, I don't know why Bill O'Brien's name crept into my mind. No, because it is a bold move. And I, th I think you, when you have the autonomy, when you are the football czar, you're the head coach and the general manager and everything else when it comes to decisions, you can make that move. And ultimately, he knows it's his team. He knows exactly what he wants. He has a vision for how he, he, ha he wants his team to play and how he wants them to get along on and off the field. And so he just felt like the move is there to be made. And we will see because it will play out on the field. But he's right when he asked everyone, slow down. Let's see what this looks like at the end of the season before you levy these criticisms. So we kind of have to take him at his word. Yeah, yeah no doubt. It, it's uh... – it was an interesting offseason there in Houston, to say the least, but we'll see how it all, all works out at the end here. Uh, anything else you want to add before we get out of here, Buck? No, man, I'm fascinated for next week's virtual league meetings because the proposal that came up, the 4th and 15 uh, versus like the it? onside kick. Uh, I do. Um, I do like it because the odds go up. I, I think I saw the stats. like It's a conversion rate of about 25 to 26% in that situation. I think from a defensive perspective, the pressure is really on the defense because no how do you play that situation? Uh, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to blitz him. I'm going to make the ball come out. Then we're going to rally and tackle. Because sitting back in, in a soft zone, we saw what Pat Mahomes did against San Francisco yeah. 49ers. I just think it, it brings another level of strategy and tactics to the game that I'm excited to see because the onside kick was, I mean, you just couldn't get it the way it's set up now. Yeah, see, I'm, I think I'm on the other side. I don't like it because I feel like you could you could spend the whole game dominating a game and, and building your lead and getting game control. And then now I, I'm going to give him an opportunity on a fourth and 15 
and he's going to get not only is he going to get possession, he's going to have great field position. So it's like yeah, we're playing. All field. of a sudden, now we're playing it. We're playing a different game than the game we've been playing. This I've been winning in, with the rules the entire game, and now we get to the end. Like, oh, we're going to change the rules now at the end and try and let, you know, help them catch up. To uh, me, it DJ. feels like you're playing when you're playing with your little. If you're playing with the little brother, I was a little brother, but hypothetically, if you're the big brother playing with the little brother and you're playing the twenty-one. And you're like, I got 18. I'll tell you what, every shot you make from here on out, I'll give you five points. Like, what? No, we're playing like the rules are the rules. We don't change the rules as we get to the end of the game. See, I can tell you are you are the little brother. I was the older brother. So, yeah. <laughs> so we play make it, take it. And as long as I'm making it, I'm going to keep taking it. So so that's what happens. So if you if you, if you want to you like the ball back, it, get it. a stop. Get Just, a stop. Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't like it. I, you like it. I don't like it. We'll see what happens. It would be exciting. I know it would be exciting, but I can just imagine, I can just imagine being a, a coach or a, a fan of a team that's dominated a football game, and all of a sudden, instead of having something crazy, um, you know, like them recovering an onside kick to get in the game, they just got to get 15 yards, and all of a sudden, they're right back in the game. Oh, DJ, I, we'll so, the, so the way that I see this, like you all out blitz them, and you hang your defensive backs right at the sticks. The yeah. ball has to come Rally out. You just got to tackle. tackle. You just yeah. got to tackle. You can't. You can't. You Gosh. can't be afraid. You just talked about being bold. This is yeah. about being bold. Be bold. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna be bold, and they're gonna run that. They're gonna do a little tight end slip screen. That guy's gonna hit his head <laughs> on the goalpost. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got Max Protect. Max Protect bringing everybody. Wait, where where the tight end just go? He just slipped yeah. out of there. Who had him? Okay, if you run a screen in that situation, you're being really, really bold. If you decide to there run a go. slow screen in yes, 14 15 with the that's game on the line, that's Let's really go. bold. Uh, maybe I do like this. I do feel like I think Nabil put on our little chat here. It looks like it's Madden, like playing Madden. It kind of is like Madden, I think. That's For insane. Sure. Uh, all right, man. Well, anything else you want here before we bounce? No, nah, man, I'm good to go. Like, uh, I'm excited. I hope everyone has a great uh holiday weekend and we'll be right back at it next week yep we will be back uh next week a couple audio podcasts and we'll have a new uh, tv show on thursday so thank you guys so much again uh if you've watched the show you know we do this little segment called scout school so if you get on nfl game pass and we'll just uh, do a little scouting video 30 seconds is ideal um, just take your phone out video the screen of a player that you want to study and give us your thoughts on the player a little mini scouting report um, and Game Pass is free right now. So it's, it just log on NFL.com slash Game Pass. Find a player you want to study. Shoot us a little video. Uh, put it on uh, Twitter and put hashtag Scout School. Tag us. And uh, we'll take the best one and put it on the show on Thursday. So something to look forward to there. Uh, but that's going to do it for us today. I want to thank all the guys for putting this together. Nabil, uh, Mark Brady. Uh, on the TV side, Arjuna has been doing an awesome job with that, so I want to give him a shout-out. You guys are working really hard to put this whole thing together. Uh, Matt Tanton's helped. He's been wonderful producing Mark Brady. So we've got a whole team of folks. David Singer getting us great guests like John Smoltz. So I uh, do want to thank all them. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 
37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 